We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader, the place to be for people who want to be the best e-commerce leader they can be. And I think today's topics, we're continuing with the area of first principles thinking. That is real leadership 101 right there, as far as I'm concerned. I think being able to think fond first principles and question your own assumptions is a very powerful thing. We talked in the last uh, episode about identifying your own assumptions, breaking down the problem into fundamentals and creating new solutions. So today we're going to talk about some of the fundamental principle areas that, that Jason thinks are most exciting to him. And we're going to talk about some frameworks for how to apply principles to your business, a five-part framework of Jason's. And then we're going to mention a few of the juicy topics that we're looking forward to deep diving into over the next few weeks and months. So hope you enjoy the show. And as ever, don't forget to subscribe to the show for a podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So the things that kind of pique my interest on this list, sort of my my short list of things that I'm, I'm most interested in. The first one is really the nature of competition. I hate brutal competition. I, I, I don't like it. I, I, I'm a collaborator at heart. And I don't really care to wade into a bloodbath, a competitive bloodbath. And I just don't, I've, I think about that. That one consumes my time and energy a lot. It's like, how can we not compete? And so, but that doesn't mean I don't want to play the game. <laughs> you know, it means I want to compete in a way that's outsmarting, you know, or out positioning as best I can so that I don't have brutal head to head competition. And that is the angle that I'm always camping on in my mind and trying to come up with. And so that nature of competition though, that that is microeconomics like all the way. And it plays out in so many interesting ways. The blue ocean strategy is, is comes to my mind. Al Reese and Jack Trout's books, uh, Marketing Warfare and Positioning come to my mind. And so I think there's a lot of detail there that we can unpack together as fo foundational or first principles thinking as it relates to co just competition. The other one that comes to my mind is, and I'll tell you this, the story about it. I've said this before in the podcast, I'm sure, but there was a, just a, a critical a lecture that I heard at, at Stanford <laughs> on their YouTube channel. And uh, it was by Reed Hoffman. And uh, Reed Hoffman is the founder of LinkedIn and he was the original PayPal mafia guy. And he's gone on to be a big time investor. And he gave this lecture and this was, I think the lecture itself was from like 2006 or it's, it's really old. It's like, really, you got to dig for it in the archives of Stanford, but the, it's a video based thing. So you can watch it. And, and in one critical moment, I mean, he describes two, two ideas that stack stick out to me. Well, the whole lecture is just amazing, but he, he talks about this one idea that the fundamental competitive strategy in the business world that he was talking about was a financing strategy. It wasn't a product strategy. And when he said that, I, I just, I stewed on that for so long. I just like, what is he talking about? Why is a financing strategy, the fundamental competitive uh, issue, not a product strategy? 
And so, so when, when he, he piqued my interest with that little quote, it just like was a splinter in my mind. I was like, what is he talking about? And then of course, the more I've kind of grown in business and stuff, the more I've realized that in many, many marketplaces, the many places online for e-commerce sellers broadly, I mean, just across the internet, many, many things are a winner take all or winner take most scenario. That's just a nature of online selling. It, it seems as if the internet m- wants to make winner take most scenarios. And most of the algorithms do that. Most of the marketplaces do that. They will create an environment in which somebody has a landslide of success. Yeah. So I, my response on this, very interesting what you're saying about a financing strategy, not a product strategy. Also, the winner take all thing. I think my understanding of macroeconomics, uh, microeconomics, I don't know if it's, which it is, is that most marketplaces tend towards monopoly. And this is pre-internet stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you look at how the real world works with, for example, car companies or banks that aren't primarily technology-driven or not internet-driven, yeah. that's still true. And I think that is a reality that's been accelerated by e-commerce mm-hmm. rather than being yeah. unique to e-commerce. But yeah. I think you're absolutely right, either which way. And well, therefore, we have to be in a position to be the winner because otherwise we're not going to get much worthwhile. I- I think to unpack what you just said, mm. it's a it's a first principle mm. that the internet made apply to many 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 sectors or concepts within business at mm. just a, the velocity at which it was applied to, you know, I mean, like in our case, the doll clothes pattern marketplace. Like, who would have known there was a winner take all scenario in which the doll clothes pattern makers of the world would find themselves? And yet, I would argue, I mean, that's kind of what's happened for us. And you know, so that's uh, I think that's what's happened is the internet fueled it. But the principle, the fundamental principle, is mar- you know, marketplaces broadly lean towards monopolistic outcomes where there is a a, a winner that has a ten x order of magnitude better than the next guy. And they and then frequently duopoly where there's a two two brand uh, battle of the ages. Those are very, very common first principle concepts in marketplaces. So, yeah. So, yeah, totally agree. OK, so let's let's unpack this even one la- layer further, which is how do we exactly apply this to uh, some project that we're working on in our business right now? And I, and I have a little framework, five part framework that uh, I've got here and I'm just going to put it somewhere <laughs> and, uh, and walk you through it. So, so here's the five-part framework if you want me to, to dive into it. Sound all right? We good for, good for this? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So the first question is, what am I working on right now? And get very specific. And throughout, and just do this, take these five points and then do the th- this week. When you're working on something, just pause, just put a fork in it for a minute and ask yourself these five questions. And the first one is, what am I working on right now? The second question is, what assumptions do I have about how it will help me? What are we doing right now? Well, we're doing a podcast at this very moment. <laughs> what assumptions do we have about how it will help us? <laughs> and the, and just start to think, just even journal this out. In fact, this would be like a great journal. This would make a great low content Kindle or, or a paperback book for a journal product. Anyway, so the second second question, what assumptions do I have about how it will help me? Third question is, why do I think it will be a business value? Why do I think that will be a business value to me? So that's the third question. The, the fourth question is, how much am I spending in time or money to make this outcome occur? Which is like ROI thinking. And then the fifth question is, which basic economic or psychological principles are involved? 
Or we could expand it to say systems thinking or, you know, behavioral psychology, macroeconomics. So those are the five. Let me go through them again. What am I working on right now? What assumptions do I have about how this will help me? Why do I think it will add business value? How much am I spending in time or money to get that outcome? And which basic economic or psychological principles are involved? That's your list. Take it as a, just put it on a note, a post-it note, stick it on your computer. And anytime you're involved in an effort or activity, ponder these, these questions. Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Does it prompt some, some thinking? Yeah, great questions. What am I working on? Yeah, assumptions about how it will help me. I guess it's a kind of double layer assumption. It's not just what assumptions do I have, but what assume, assumptions do I have about how it will help me? I guess that kind of assumes that you think it will. Yeah. So maybe even the question, is this actually helpful? Is a more more primitive but, but useful question. And often if you find yourself bashing away at emails for an hour, it kind of relates back to the four-hour work week questions. Like, mm-hmm. is what I'm doing right now the most productive use of my time? Sometimes yeah. a, cre- a more crude question like that can be quite useful. And if the answer is yes, you could say, okay, well, how? Your question then becomes extremely good. Why do I think it will add value? Yeah. And I think here's the thinking. Again, having an external set of people to be accountable to is really, really helpful. Because if you had an employee that's, you know, if you're a small business owner using your money to do certain activity, and you're not convinced about it, you would probably grill them pretty hard about their use of time or money. And if we don't have a coach or a set of, you know, a board of advisors or a business partner or whatever, we don't have to justify our use of time or money. And I think that's a real danger. Like, is this adding business value is an excellent question. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to have that is to have some form of investor-like discussion where somebody goes, Mike, why are you doing this? And if you can't come up with a good answer, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. So those are the things that strike me from the list particularly, really. Yeah, I totally agree. Here's the list just, you know, for the folks watching us live, here's the list on screen again, so you can just jot it down. You know, the first thing that stands out to me as we go through this list is, I remember again, back to Elon Musk saying at one point in an interview I watched, the best part, like he's talking about cars or rockets, The best part is no part at all. In other words, like what is it that you're doing in your business that you can literally eliminate? And this gets back again to Tim Ferriss's four-hour workweek concepts, but are there things that you're really grinding on that are taking tons of your time and energy or tons of your money that you literally could eliminate and it would not impact your business at all other than be a positive outcome? Or maybe it would impact your business 5%, but you're spending so much money and so much time that you say to yourself, it's not worth it. When I really do the math, when I really look at how much I'm spending in time or money to get that outcome. And this is just, I think, a very, very foundational way to apply first principles thinking. And I I hope everyone jots this down on a post-it note, these five questions, and we'll put them again in the show notes. But this, I think, is key to starting to get at this underlying concept of how do we make our business so elegant, so (laughs) machine-like, and so little labor participation on our side that we say to ourselves, I got a darn good machine I built here. And of course, that's the goal. You know, that's the goal. I love it. Um, I know just two things that that strike me in response. I mean, 
absolutely love Elon Musk's quote. The best part is no part. I'm a big fan of using the bike, not not as a sort of road racer. I'm the kind of sportsman, but just getting around. And Jeff, Be- um, sorry, Steve Jobs um, was apparently a big fan of bikes as well. And I think what what there was one quote that really struck him is that pretty much all animals in the world move more efficiently than human beings. At least a lot of mammals do. But once you put a human being on a bike then they have like 40% efficiency. In other words, 40% of the energy they use goes into forward motion, which mm-hmm. is way more than a mm-hmm. cheetah or an ape or a running horse or whatever. So, and what I love about bikes is incredibly simple mechanism for mm-hmm. really multiplying effort. And my kind of take on a small business, but I think we could apply this to bigger ones as well. It's like how totally stripped down can I make this thing? Yeah, And there's a Porsche quote, Porsche used this in their advertising years ago, for speed, add lightness. So it's almost about the value you add in the modern world, particularly, oh. is how, what can you take out and the thing still falls, doesn't fall apart? What can you take out <laughs> and the thing still delivers on doing the job that the consumer needs and absolutely nothing extra? And But I love the, the play on the idea there where they say add lightness. Of course, right. that's the oxymoron. You, you subtract things to make it lighter. But their whole point is you don't subtract, subtract things by nature. You add things by nature. What we yeah, do yeah. Deli- by intention, we just pile on another yeah. podcast, another email, another this, another that, more products, more cowbell, as the old Saturday Night Live skit goes for their band. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's what we do is we yes. add on. And so Porsche's uh, call to action is add lightness. That's yeah, genius. I love that. I love it is that. a genius bit of copywriting. And I, I don't know the copyright in that. So apologies to Porsche. But yeah, I, I think if we think of, if, of subtraction as an addition to value, in other words, adding lightness, adding mm-hmm. space, adding elegance, as you use a great word for business model. I, I really, really, really think that's important. And for product design, in a very pragmatic way, it's like, what can you take out of this product to add to the value for the consumer? And there's the, the words take and add seem to go in opposite directions. But I think by taking physical matter away, mm-hmm. we sometimes add value because it's lighter, it's more elegant. It's you know, whatever. And that applies to the business model level as well. So, yeah, I think there's huge amounts about subtraction is, is really, really important. Okay. So, this is such a central point. If you're listening to this again by podcast directly, I'll just say the five again in case you never hit our, hit our website and you're not watching with us live. Here are the five. What am I working on right now? Number two, what assumptions do I have about how this will help me? Number three, why do I think it will add business value? Number four, how much am I spending in time or money to get that outcome? And number five, which basic economic or psychological principles are involved in the work? So put those on a post-it note, reflect on them often, and I think it'll add a tremendous amount of business uh, intelligence to what you're doing. You'll, you'll level up your genius by a factor of 10 just by adding those those questions. And I've mentioned it before. I've said it frequently enough that probably people are hearing me ta- say it. But my biggest revelation in this regard was two and a half years ago, where I think in one year we spent $78,000 on, on our Facebook ads primarily and an ad agency to run it. And we just turned the whole thing off and it didn't hurt our business at all. And the next year I had $78,000 that I didn't spend. And these are the ideas that, um, you know, once you get into your business, you will start to think about, you know, these core concepts. It really does add money to your bottom line very quickly. If you can start to source out, you know, what, you know, what parts of this can I hack off for speed 
and for lightness, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, and, and advertising is a classic, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can often yeah. just completely ditch a load of advertising. I can't remember if it was you that told me that I think Uber spent a billion dollars in adverts that didn't add anything to their bottom line, and they turned it off. Oh, I can't remember who told I me, did. but that, that was last year. I think it was like 2019, 2020. It was very recent. Well, I, major. <laughs> I, I saw an article that was a list of companies that have done that. Their digital marketing budgets were like in the, and I don't think it uh, was uh, Uber, but th there was a whole uh, a set of companies that were, they digital budgets were in the hundreds of millions of dollars hmm. and they flipped it off with a switch. Goodbye. Yeah. We're done. No, no, <laughs> no more. And there, it did not change their <laughs> outcomes in yeah. the near term. Now it does it in the long term or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. But nonetheless, I mean, that is very interesting. Okay, so let's wrap the show and then but let's let's stand together for the live folks and answer some questions that have come in as well. So let me just let me wrap it up by saying, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then be sure to check out our other episodes. We will be dropping more knowledge bombs related to first principles of e-commerce over the upcoming days, weeks and months as we really dive into this uh, topic. This was just the kickoff conversation about what first principles are, how they apply to e-commerce, and how we can begin to frame things as it relates to first principles for e-commerce sellers. And so if you'd have enjoyed it, then look for the other topics along this reg uh, regard. And of course, we have a back catalog now of two seasons of episodes at theecommerceleader.com. We would love your highest and best review on any listener device that you check our podcast out on. If it allows for stars or written quotes or whatever, it would be tremendously helpful. And we really, really thank you for listening to the show. That's my takeaway. Michael, any final concluding thoughts here? Yeah, I think try and persuade yourself to be willing to take a little bit of abstraction. And then you, your job as the business owner is to go and apply this and make it practical again because this stuff really is powerful. So you and I have created an Airtable list of topics we want to do a deep dive into. We're calling it the first principles list. So what are three or four topics on that list that you're excited to talk about in the upcoming episodes? Sure. Yeah, there's so much to dive into. I think for me personally, the things that really pique my interest, the first one would be understanding demand and total addressable market at the marketplace level. We have so many of our clients who are really exploring Walmart right now and Etsy's on fire and you know eBay is still a thing it's hot again for some people and so understanding the demand side at the marketplace level very interesting to me and the total addressable market component of that the second thing i would say is there's a whole body of work in microeconomics called the shifters of demand five things that will change the demand for a product i think that's very fascinating we need to do a whole podcast on that one. Third one I mentioned a little bit uh, ago in the conversation was mon monopolistic uh, situations. Situations where you can install yourself as a de facto monopoly, how that can occur with the help of marketplaces and their algorithms, and how you can engineer that yourself. I think uh, that's a very, very top of mind topic for me. I don't like you know the red ocean straight competition with other people. And then I, I would say the fourth one that's very interesting to me that I want to learn more about is this idea of the financial engineering of your company and economies of scale. Like you've heard that phrase so often, economies of scale, but how do we actually take the concept of economies of scale 
and apply it to our business and really make an impact for us applying those concepts. And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm fascinated by just, you know, those ideas and, and many others, but I think that's sort of my short list. How about you? What, what's top of mind for you? Yeah, those are, by the way, fantastic topics. Yeah, I really, really like that. For me, I'm a bit obsessed at the moment with the idea of asymmetric risk rewards. I, because partly I work with Amazon sellers of physical goods and there's massive risk involved in that. So anything we could do to de-risk it is really, really important, I think, and, and really fundamental to any physical product business, especially if you want to be on Amazon. Second one is profit maximization, which is one of your topics. And for the simple reason that when you own a business, you want to have as much profit as possible. It's, it's, it's basic, but it's really, really, really important. The third thing is one of my sort of favorite things that maybe it's an intellectual indulgence and it isn't practical, but I'd like to talk it through with you and see if that's true, which is geopolitics. And I think it does show up in a very direct way. If you're importing or exporting, one obvious way is if you're importing from China to the US, which a lot of my colleagues do and, and clients, and I have done personally as well, and maybe will do again in future, and Brexit in the UK. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really hitting UK-based Amazon sellers or US-based sellers who have stock in the UK and want to sell into Europe. So is it an indulgence or is it practical discuss? And the fourth one is sure. a concept by Dan Ariely, which is when your intuition is wrong and how to sort of check your own intuition with the right sort of um, mental models and frameworks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like decision-making errors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That, that. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah, love that. Really one. important, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, this is fantastic. Okay, that's the end of the podcast snippet that we'll add to the podcast. <laughs> right. We'll add that in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I think we're done. Fantastic conversation as always. Yeah. And thank you all for showing up. The conversation in terms of questions that were being asked, and I'll just answer one last that came up real quick. But I'll just say this, Ma Michael. Maybe we should do a live call and podcast episode sometime where we ask people to join us on zoom and add them to or just read their questions but do a whole q a session with our i group. think that would be really be cool I, i'm very big on the q a sessions i think mm -hmm. they are more sort of topical and and sort yeah. of that they're not going to have such a long life but i think they they are immediately answering questions that at least one person has and the mm -hmm. chances are 10 other people yeah. have them so yeah Absolutely yeah. up for that. What are the best upsells on eBooks is another question that came in. This will be our last one we'll answer. And the uh, it's a great question. My personal line of thinking lately is that the best upsell in an eBook is some other uh, product that you have that is really the object of your you know primary business obsession. So for example, we have a client who has a primary product and it was obvious for them to make a eBook that they could give away. And then in the ebook, they upsell the product. And the the thing that we created with them was just this list. And I think it was X number of secrets no one is telling you about in their you know industry. And a very simple title. And uh, that ebook is given away on their website. And it's just a straight, you know, when you add it to your cart, then you're upsold the product. And a uh, very, very simple device there. And that's not through Kindle. It's just through their own website, through Shopify. And, uh, and then in the book itself, of course, you can have call to actions to buy any product. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then be sure to check out our other episodes. We will be dropping more knowledge bombs related to first principles of e-commerce over the upcoming days, weeks, and months as we really dive into this uh, topic. This was just the kickoff 
conversation about what first principles are, how they apply to e-commerce, and how we can begin to frame things as it relates to first principles for e-commerce sellers. And so if you'd have enjoyed it, then look for the other topics along this reg- uh, regard. And of course, we have a back catalog now of two seasons of episodes at the ecommerceleader.com. We would love your highest and best review on any listener device that you check our podcast out on. If it allows for stars or written quotes or whatever, it would be tremendously helpful. And we really, really thank you for listening to the show. That's my takeaway. Michael, any final concluding thoughts here? Yeah, I think try and persuade yourself to be willing to take a little bit of abstraction. And then your job as the business owner is to go and apply this and make it practical again. Because this stuff really is powerful. And the fact that it starts from the abstract shouldn't fool you about the fact that it ends up in very, very real bottom line impacting results. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.